Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Natalie Gottner, director of the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources on KSL News Radio, and Brian Schott, political correspondent with the Salt Lake Tribune. So glad to have you all here. We are 32 days from the midterm elections, and I wanna talk about civility for a moment because we are getting all sorts of material in our mailboxes, our the commercials on our TVs, where we're streaming. Uh, Natalie, let's start with you for just a moment because you have been so connected to so many campaigns for a long time. Are things less civil now than they were in the past? Absolutely, that's my opinion. Part of it happens because of what's happened with super PACs and so much money you know, in political life. It's a, it's a real problem, and I think you know this, Jason, but they're increasingly not calling it civility, but is it dignified political speech? Yeah. And civility has this idea of, you know, you could be civil with your wife, but that wouldn't be good enough, right? You need to be more dignified. And so you're hearing more uh, and more conversations about is our, is our political speech dignified? Uh-huh. Boyd, uh, so one really has to have to ask the question about if it's dignified speech or if it's civil or if it's not civil. What kind of impact is this having on participation and people's views of the candidates and the issues? Yeah, you know, it's it's sad that we're at this point where we have to demonize and, and weaponize, you know, all the words of our opponents uh, politically that we not only, we can't just disagree with them, but we have to demonize them in order to justify our own position. Uh, and so often what we found is that if we have contempt, contempt is really the problem, the cancer on the country, uh, because contempt says that because you disagree with me, you're worthless. And because of that, I can melt down your Facebook page, I can blow up your Twitter feed, I can say all kinds of horrible things, and I can still sleep well at night, go to church on Sunday, and feel good about myself. And so that's a, a lot of this has to come back to a we the people issue. We often talk about you get what you pay for. I think as voters, we actually uh, pay for what we get. And part of it is by validating bad behavior. Every time, it's just like with your teenagers, if you validate and let them get away with bad behavior, bad behavior will continue. Well, so Brian, we have to ask if it works a little bit too then, right? So you talk about negative campaigning and commercials, which I want to get into in just a moment. Does it work? Does negative campaign or lack of civility or dignity, does it work? Yes, that's what our system re rewards right now. It incentivizes it. Uh, if you say something outrageous about your opponent or about the other party, uh, it drives fundraising, it drives small dollar donations, it gets you on Fox News, we're in an attention economy. Um, being civil does not pay off in this economy where the loudest voices get all the attention and they raise all the money. We see it in, in, in all these campaigns. Uh, the, the, the U.S. Senate campaign, they're not fighting it over issues. They're fighting it over ads and they're fighting it over personality uh, because there's really no, no one is, is, is pro, 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 proposing anything and that's because th this is the way that you get uh -huh. dollars and this is the way that you speak to an increasingly polarized and tribalistic vote voting uh, base. Brian, I think you're spot on there. If I think about this Senate race, you know, it's a big, big deal. And I can't even remember where they're talking about issues. 
I don't know the differentiation in candidates on, on you know, gun safety. I don't know their differentiation on fiscal policy. I don't know what they're going to be doing for high gas prices. Yeah. That's really a problem. Yeah, in a uh, Senate want, race, yeah. a U.S. Senate race, yeah. and there, there's not—it's not issue driven. Let, let's get to that because we have a very interesting question from a University of Utah student on this very point. And, and Boyd, I want you to, to address this one after we hear from her. Hi, I'm Delker Portocarrero. I'm a senior at the University of Utah studying criminology, sociology, and political science. On Tuesday, Evan McMullen released that his campaign is suing Club for Growth and three other television stations in Utah for defamation after running a deceptive and demeaning ad that has been airing since last week. The ad distorts comments made by McMullen on CNN back in 2017. This got me thinking about the future of campaigning. Are candidates going to campaign towards people's emotions by demeaning the other candidates, or are we going to take a more policy-driven approach towards campaigning? Thank you. Hey, go ahead, Boyd. You know, it, it's, it's so interesting to look at how these things play out, and, and this is one of those where we can be equal opportunity offenders in terms of ads that have gone out. You have PolitiFact that checks many of the ads on both sides, uh, and there's a lot of deception there, and it does prevent us, it keeps us a safe distance from actually having the policy and the principal conversation. And so I think we have to start looking at, we often talk about reform in terms of campaign finance and what goes on there. Uh, one thing that I have always thought would be interesting is we talk about these super PACs, which can't coordinate with candidates, it's illegal, uh, and that often becomes an excuse, right? Because, well, I, it's not my fault, I can't control them. Uh, what if we had conveniently, I might conveniently add. absolutely. And so, what if instead, what if instead we had campaigns as a super PAC so that they had to own? all of the messaging. And that way politicians couldn't just say, well, that's a that's a, a PAC, I can't interact with them. If they were a super PAC, then they would actually have to uh, and be forced to actually own all the messaging in a campaign. I think that would totally change the dynamic. Go ahead, Brian. You know, one of the things that she said in in her in her her question was, "Is this the the future of campaigning?" It's what we're doing now. It's what we've been doing ever since the Willie Horton ad uh, in the in the uh, George W. George H. W. Bush versus Michael Dukakis race. Um, you know, that's that's probably the most famous. But you see it all the time, and you see ads that are designed only to go on social me media. You look at the Lincoln Pro Project; they only put stuff up on. on Twitter and there and what they do is they troll people uh, you see groups like the Midas project you see other groups doing that as well and what they're doing is they're trying to raise money so they can continue to do this and they're setting the conversation terms and it's not about pol pol policy anymore it's just not uh -huh. now, oh go ahead Natalie I, there are exceptions, and they're big exceptions. I had the privilege of moderating the third congressional the district uh, debate last night for the Utah Debate Commission. Uh, it was a very issues-oriented discussion. The speech was very respectful. And, and so, Brian, I agree with your assessment, like the future doesn't look good, but we do have major times when we break through, and I, I felt like that happened uh, this week with the Utah Debate Commission. That's a, uh, a good example. It's often what happens when you get people in the room together. Uh, I had a really interesting experience with a student down at Utah Valley University when Mike Pence, former vice president, came to speech, uh, to speak there. Uh, and I asked this student, uh, I wanted to get their perception, and the student introduced himself as a socialist. And he said, I've spent the last five years arguing about, demeaning, attacking everything that Mike Pence had said. He said, today I was in the room with him and I had to see him as human. 
I had to see him as a human being. And he said, all of these things, he said, I, I found him to be a principled person, a passionate person, someone of belief and character. And, and then he said, I couldn't square this human being I had met with the monster I had created in my mind. Uh, and often that's what we're allowing all of these politics to do is we create these monsters, these demons that they're, they're yeah. evil, they're awful, they're horrible. And if we'd get in the room, if we'd have a different kind of conversation, uh, I think the Amer American people are starving for it. They don't know how to ask for it. it. It'll never appear on a Pew Research poll, but when they experience it, like what Natalie did last night in that debate, when they experience it, it's like oxygen. Uh, and it actually works. And I think we have to trust the American people and the American people have to trust themselves when they hear something that doesn't quite square, it doesn't quite square. And so let's do it different. Brian, I know you'll have opinions here and then I'll go after you. Well, you know, yeah, it's all it's all well and good to have a de debate, but how many people actually w watched it? That's a question you have to ask yourself. Also, what is the moment from that debate that everyone's paying attention to? It is a really ham-fisted uh, answer about abortion from Representative John Curtis. Uh, I, that's the only thing that's going to break through, and it's it's going everywhere. So it's again back to the attention economy. It gives people that hit of dope dopamine. You know, get 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 getting in the room with someone. That's great, but politicians and candidates are becoming increasingly uh, uh, distanced from their voters. They don't want to face them. So what they do is they're, they're on Twitter. They've got, you know, they put out their own vid videos. They won't talk to the media. You know, I, 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 I probably could sit here and list all the politicians who will not return my calls when I'm trying to run a story because they, they can't control that message. So, you know, it's all well and good to talk about this stuff in the abstract, but it's not, the, the impact just isn't there. And if I were to bring together what both of you are saying, um, I do think we need oxygen, yeah. we need healing, and we ought to talk about what are the reforms that we could put in place that would fix mm -hmm. some of this. Mm -hmm. So I'll throw yeah. out one. Oh, okay, throw well, it out. A quick one. <laughs> I, I used to be against term limits. I used to think the ballot box is where term limits happen. About 10 years ago, I, I jumped mm -hmm. ship. And the reason I like term limits is I, I think it puts someone that's in the U.S. Senate, I'd give them two 12-year, yep. you know, two, yeah. two terms, so 12 yeah. years, and then I would refresh that uh -huh. place. Yeah. And, and I, I think I, that would have some really interesting dynamics yeah. because I, you can't become career politicians, yeah. you can't develop so much incumbency power, um, and that last six years, you got to vote your conscience. Yeah, yeah, and you should be able to do it for the first six years too. Is what we what we hope to get to. Uh, and I actually agree with Natalie. I I believe term limits could be very powerful with one condition, and that is you would also need to have term limits for congressional staff. Wow. Because otherwise wow. you would wow. end up you would end up with a different form of bureaucracy yeah. that would just yeah. stay and the members would cycle through. And I always told people in DC, it's designed to be seasonal work. You go in there, you work for a season, you go like crazy, you leave a legacy, and then you get out of town. That's yeah. what the founders had in mind. This is interesting. You know the, the Russian quote, the, the Russian czar that said, I don't rule Russia, ten thousand clerks do. <laughs> yeah, That's your yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember elected officials calling them the B team, these bureaucrats, right? Because they're they're there when I got there and they're gonna be there when I leave. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> one last point on this, and I want to talk about one more reform you're working on, Natalie, and it's, uh, Brian, to you on these super PACs. Any way to rein these in, N not only that part right there, but what do you think the obligation is of these candidates? Because the, the law doesn't let, let them coordinate, but that doesn't mean these candidates, and both of them have had commercials in the Senate race that 
media have said is just not true. What is the answer right there and their responsibility? Well, they don't really have any because the law says that they don't have any. Don't hate the players, hate the game, you know. <laughs> the game was put, once Citizens United started, once the Supreme Court made that decision and allowed for just floods of dark money and corporate money into campaigns, it opened the floodgates for this. And so the candidates have no re re responsibility. They can't coordinate. So, you know, these, these super PACs can go in, say whatever they want. They can form, you, you, you see PACs forming other PACs or PACs donating to other PACs to hide where the money's coming from. A lot of these places, we don't know where the donations are coming from. So, you know, there's really no re, re yeah. responsibility. And that's, and that's because of the way the law is set, set up. Very good. Uh, just one last point on this. It's uh, sort of a reform you're working on. Uh, will you talk about what, what you're rolling out this week, this dignity index is something you've been working on, the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Talk about some of the other players there and what you're hoping to do over the next couple of weeks. Well, the issue is how do you start to affect change in political speech? Uh, one way you can do that is by actually looking at campaign letters, uh, debate transcripts, uh, speeches, uh, social media accounts, and you can actually try to quantify is this speech dignified or not? So the dignity index uh, you know, ranges from one to eight, and one is like violence, political violence, basically mm -hmm. violent speech, and up in eight, it's, uh, it's, it's loving your enemy. Mm -hmm. And you can actually uh, quantitatively train people to code these things and then uh, give, them, give, them a, give them an index. Um, so the Hinckley Institute, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, Students at the University of Utah, we're in a demonstration project where we're doing this. Um, I know KSL is a media sponsor helping with this. Uh, and it's all in partnership with Unita, a nonprofit led by Tim Shriver. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, chatting with Tim Shriver the other day, and, and as we went through this, uh, Emmanuel Cleaver, a, a Democrat uh, in the House, uh, is great. He's actually been here in the state of Utah when uh, Mia Love was in office working on some poverty projects. Uh, and he said it best. He, he said, you know, we get scored on everything we do in Congress, how we vote on guns, how we vote on education, how good are we on taxes, uh, but we've never been scored on what we say uh, and having that dignity. So the dignity index is a, is a way to change the conversation and at least make people aware. And I think one of the most important parts of the dignity index is not what it's telling us about our politicians, it's about what it will tell us about ourselves. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It teaches us. and I in developing some of the curriculum and thinking about it, uh, I had to politically code a speech. I, uh, I looked at President Trump's speech at the National Archives where he talked about uh, critical race theory. It was awful. It scored very low on the Dignity Index. But I also read uh, President Biden's speech uh, on, um, it was on the, Ma the MAGA Republicans. Mm -hmm. He did not score well on that speech. And I learned something, because yeah. I learned that um, it's happening on both sides at a significant degree. Yeah, yeah this is equal opportunity uh, offense for yeah. sure. Brian, Brian <laughs> tell me, based on these conversations you have with so many elected officials, let's just say a candidate gets, I, I'm nothing but ones and twos on this index. I, do they change? Do they change their behavior? If you know, are they, you know, I'm just kind of curious what you see. I, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, um, my, my f f philosophy is always expect the worst po possible outcome, and I'm hardly ever dis <laughs> disappointed. Um, um, 
it's easy to say that this is biased. Who's coming up with the uh, who's coming up with with the scoreboard? You know, um, uh, and especially when we are in. If if you look at the way that the, the the districts are drawn, and they are so highly gerrymandered that there's just a handful of competitive races, even here in the state, uh, there there's not a there's so many Republicans in safe dis, dis, districts, or so many Democrats in safe di districts that their only worry is getting challenged from their left or right, and it's a primary challenge. So where's the incentive to moderate your speech when you're going to have someone who's coming after you right. saying you're a rhino or saying that 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 you've abandoned your prince principles? Everything is rigged, and I just can't go that far. Okay, like like I see times when we break through. I see times when you know exceptions happen and where the institutions work, where the good-heartedness of people work. So I just want to be a little bit more positive than you are. <laughs> well, and, and I will say that the Dignity Index changed me. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can challenge yeah. the scoring, but but that inspires a conversation, yeah. and you learn from that yeah. conversation. And I, and I think the most important thing is is we're looking to the wrong place. This is this is not about having a politician suddenly shift. This is about us shifting. We have to remember that our politicians have really never led in this country. It's community and culture that lead and the politicians follow. And we have to trust that. Uh, and it's been like that since the beginning. Uh, even something like the Declaration of Independence, inspired, wonderful document, but it wasn't a leading document. Revolutionary War had been going for 18 months before the politicians got around to putting it on paper. They find and, a parade and run and on And they the run to the front. They, they <laughs> love to do that. And so I think we have to look at this index uh, because I've, I've been looking at the index and it's changed the way I've had conversations with my children, with my neighbor, with my colleagues at work. Uh, Tim Shriver often talks about having a Dividers Anonymous, uh, you know, groups all around the country because we often buy into that and we actually perpetuate it by what we're putting out uh, in terms of our social media. But it your forces you to Sorry. think about other life experiences. Yeah. That's the But you're yeah. blaming the, the voters, but this is what they no. want. You know, go back to Access Hollywood. That, you know, you had people calling for Donald Trump to drop out of the race, and he didn't, and he ended up winning, and every, and people who called for him to drop out of the race, Jason Chaffetz, Mike Lee, have reversed themselves 100%. So, you know... This is it, why we need term limits. Is, yeah. but, but this is what the voters want. So you can say the voters, the voters need to change their minds. This is what they want. They have been electing people like Donald Trump, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, who you know, who was a, a leader in uh, in all the violent re re rhetoric leading up to the riot at the U.S. Capitol? This is what they want. So to say, you know, we've got to spoon feed them this thing, or, or we've got to change their minds. This is what they want, and this is all that the candidates are what, are responding what would you to. Do? What would you do to to heal? Uh, you know, as as a reporter, it's not my job to say what I would do to, to heal. That's not my job. You know, yeah. it's my job to look at what is going on right now. And if you look at our, our moment, we are tribe, tribe, tribalized. Politics is a zero-sum game. I win, you lose. If you win, I lose. There's no room for compromise. So, you know, our system does not incentivize this at all. One of the interesting things is I've been reading this this Dignity Index, too, is it's beyond the numbers, is how we view the, the speech itself. It is a frame of reference when you're listening to uh, commentary or you're reading the tweets or those kinds of things as well, which is also an interesting component of this. Do you label people? Do you call them names? You know, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, just things that we might not filter as well. Well, but it's worth paying attention to. Very interesting. Uh, a, a couple of things on the debates. Key themes. You moderated last night yeah. uh, our debate. Uh, one or two key themes, and then Boyd, you're doing uh, the CD2 uh, debate next week. 
So this is uh, Glenn Wright, the Democratic candidate, and John Curtis, the Republican candidate, third congressional district. The first thing I would say is it was uh, very um, dignified in the way that they had an issue-oriented discussion. That was wonderful to see. Uh, there were definitely uh, contrasts between the candidates. They were different on how they viewed uh, President Biden's actions on, on marijuana. They were different on abortion. They were different on uh, how, you, how you fix gas prices and inflation. And so I think the audience got to see a lot of uh, compares, comparisons and contrasts. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to credit the Utah Debate Commission for doing this. It's so important. This is an institution in our state we need to support. Mm -hmm. Preview of your debate. Yes, yeah, so we'll have the, the second congressional down at uh, Southern Utah University mm -hmm. next Friday. And uh, I hope it's uh, in similar mode in terms of the dignity of the conversation. But I think it's also important uh, that we get past kind of the you know, the 30 second, 60 second canned answer that they've rehearsed, you know, 70,000 times before. Uh, I, I'm actually for a more Lincoln Douglas style debate and make them actually speak. I was looking back at the original uh, Kennedy Nixon debate. Their opening statements were eight minutes long. Uh, so they had to say something uh, that actually mattered. And, and often it's getting past those talking points and those, those bullet points to, to get to the real conversation. One of the things I hope we can get to is a conversation of, of how they look at the role of government, uh, how they make decisions. Uh, and I always think one of the, the real important questions that we should ask any candidate at any level is, what would this person do to make a difference if they lost? Uh, and if you can't figure out what the answer to that is, then that's probably someone who is going to stay there a long time. It may be the best job they ever have. And so every decision is going to be tainted by holding on to that for as long as possible. Uh, if you looked at it in a different way of how would they make a difference in our community? How would they make a difference professionally or personally? Uh, it really changes the dynamic. So we hope to get to some of those conversations. Brian, what do you want to see? You know, um, I, I'm always, I, I always enjoy a good policy de debate. You know, unfortunately, um, if you look at the, at, at the prospects of the election in all four of our congressional debates, uh, uh, it, it, there's very little chance that the Republican is going to lose. So, you know, they're going into this um, uh, to play de de defense, you know, because incumbents don't win because of a debate. They can sure as heck lose because of a debate, but they don't win. So, you know, um, I, I'm not a big fan of got, gotcha moments. I don't yeah. think that those are, are great, but that's what everybody gloms onto. Uh -huh. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a robust dis discussion, um, you know, and, 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 and I would hope that it would make a diff, diff, diff difference. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about one of these policy issues in Washington, D.C. that has some history here in Utah because this has happened yesterday. Boy, let's start with you. President Biden is going to pardon all federal offenders of simple marijuana possession. This was a campaign promise f for him that he's delivering on. The timing is interesting as well. Talk about the implications of that decision. Yeah, I think uh, one of the big challenges with all of that is, is executive action. Uh, that I always say what is done by executive action usually gets undone by executive action, and we've seen that on a wide range of things from currently we're seeing it with DACA uh, with those uh, students are now back in limbo again because one president did one thing one did another uh, and so while there there may be some specifics in terms of the marijuana piece uh, this is an overarching problem for both political parties whoever's in the White House that when Congress doesn't do its job the executive branch is all too happy to take that power and use it. And then when they do that, then somebody files a lawsuit. And that's why we end up with such a contentious Supreme Court is because Congress isn't doing its job on the front end. Then the executive branch overreaches and then somebody files a lawsuit. Uh -huh. So the lawsuits may come. Natalie, what's interesting about uh, this, this action from President Biden is he called on governors 
across the United States to pardon their, uh, their prisoners in a similar position. And our governor, Governor Cox, had a very quick response. I'm curious what your comments are about this. This is what he said. Whether it's transferring student loan debts to millions of other taxpayers or ignoring federal enforcement laws, the president continues to disregard the checks and balances of our system. Taking an, taking an executive action like this only weeks before an election is nothing more than a desperate attempt to win votes. I agree with what uh, Governor Cox has said, but I will also say that it troubles me that we're not talking about the issue, the substance of what mm -hmm. happened. So I'm, I'm not a, a fan of legalized marijuana. I'm glad that our state doesn't have recreational marijuana. Um, I think it's a gateway drug. I think it leads to trouble. I think it hurts our workforce. It hurts our kids. Uh, but do I think that by having possession of marijuana, you should be locked up in a federal penitentiary? I don't. And I think that 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 was the right policy decision. It troubles me that that we want to go to oh executive orders or not respecting the role of yeah. government or political timing of it. Why don't we talk about the substance of it? And if Congress would do something, maybe there wouldn't yeah. be so many executive yeah. orders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, uh, Brian. What was interesting to me is we we did a, a poll recently asking what Utah voters cared most about, and I have not seen this one rise so high for a while. But it was the role of the federal government was second on the list of so many people in the state of Utah, the proper role of them, this might feed into that a bit. It, it, it might, but you know, you have to wonder what they think the proper role of the, the federal gov government is, you know, um, and and so that's one of the things you would have to drill down on it because you do hear candidates they always love to talk about this on the campaign trail. What is the proper role of the federal government? Well, you know, if you're on the right, it's to it's to stay out of your life, you know, it's to it's to protect private proper property. If you're on the left, the proper role of government is to help people who need some help, you know, and so there's there's a divide there. So you know, you you can say that but what do they actually mean is 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 what you have to ask it ask more about yeah very interesting and, and of note uh governor cox does not have the authority to pardon <laughs> any of these people which uh, was a part of his we, we his, save that for our, our board of uh, pardons and parole. Exactly, right? which yeah. is our system Proper here in the state voice, of Utah. Yeah. In, in, our, in our last 30 or 40 seconds, Natalie, because you're sort of the, the key economist for the mm -hmm. whole state of Utah, the economy remains the number one issue. Impact of that uh, with the debates coming forward and how people show up. Well, it's a real problem having high gas prices, having high inflation. It looks like the jobs numbers are starting to do what everyone expects, and that is uh, we're having higher and higher unemployment, uh, less job openings. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting us to go into a, a mild uh, to medium-sized recession within the next six months. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're there yet, but it's coming. Okay. Uh, all the signals point to that. And so that, in, an, in a political sense, it means that incumbents are in trouble. Okay, thank you for this. Thank you for your comments this evening. Very, very good. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.